Uh, good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up on the screen. Or if you've got a smartphone, you can look at uh, the QR code that should be in front of you. Take a picture of that, and that'll guide you to our, uh, our bulletin, and you can follow along on there also. So we have been walking through the book of Exodus together for some time, and we've come now to chapter 12, and we've kind of slowed down in chapter 12 because chapter 12 is extremely significant to the Old Testament and really to the entire Bible. And so up until this point, we have seen Pharaoh say over and over, no, I will not let your people go. Well, finally today, we get to hear Pharaoh say, go. In fact, he pretty much begs Moses, please go, get out of here, take everybody with you. And so all of Pharaoh's attempts to negotiate with God have failed, and finally he has accepted the terms of complete surrender. So that's where we're at. Now, while we walk through this passage together today, a few things I want you to notice, a few things I want you to pay attention to. First of all, notice the specific directions that God gives the Israelites for the Passover. Okay, we've seen some of those already. He gives a couple more specific directions. Secondly, notice once again how this is to be like a rite or a statue, a, a law, an ordinance that they observe from year to year, from here on out, to pass on to the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. Also notice the humiliation of Pharaoh, and how at the end he actually pleads that Moses would bless him. I think that's interesting. And then finally, like we've been doing from the very beginning, I want, as we read this, I want you to be asking the question, how does this passage point to Christ? And we're going to talk a lot about that. All right, so let's pray one more time, and we're going to dive in. Father, gosh, it's amazing that we can just call you Father. Thank you for adopting us into your family. You are beyond amazing. Your word is is precious to us, and I pray that you would help us to see your glory, that we would see your character, that we would believe, you would help our hearts believe your faithfulness and your providence, your provision in our lives. And I pray that you would help us to respond in joy and in resting in you and that we would bow down and worship you and be obedient to you and we would be emboldened to go and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors, to anybody that will listen to us. For your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to pick up in chapter 12, starting in verse 21. Starting in verse 21. And so we've come to the, the final plague uh, this is the Passover, okay? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Then Moses called all of the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourself according to your clan and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil of the two doorposts and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, 
And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck down, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. And the Lord had commanded, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. That's today's word. And so this passage begins with Moses calling the elders of Israel, right, together to give them instructions. So God's already given Moses instruction before this. We've seen that already. And now Moses is giving the instructions to the elders. They would have the responsibility to make sure everybody knows all the details of the plan. And there's been a lot of details up to this point, if you recall. Let me just review a little bit. Earlier in this chapter, we, God tells Moses that, okay, it had to be on the 10th month. And on that 10th month, every man from every household needed to pick a lamb or a goat. And if you were a small family, you would join up with another small family so no meat would be wasted. The lamb or the goat needed to be without blemish, had to be a male, had to be a year old. And you needed to keep the lamb until the 14th day of the month, and that's when you would kill the lamb. You'd sacrifice the lamb, you'd take some of the blood, and you'd put it on the doorpost, the lintel, the top part of the house, the, the door frame. And the lamb needed to be roasted, not boiled, but roasted over a fire. Your sides, your side dishes needed to be unleavened bread and bitter, uh, bitter herbs. Uh, it was to be prepared and eaten in haste. So your belt's fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, you're ready to go. The exodus is at hand. Now Moses gives two more details in this passage. He says, first of all, use hyssop as a brush to paint the doorpost with the blood of a lamb. And secondly, he says, make sure nobody stay, or everybody stays inside. We don't want any like, accidental deaths, right? And so let's talk about hyssop, though. Hyssop's interesting. Hyssop, from this point on in, the, in Scripture, takes on a significant meaning. And it means, it's the means by which blood of a sacrifice is transferred to a sinner, Okay, that, that's what it becomes. Let me explain what I mean by that. So hyssop, first of all, it's just a plant. It, it's, it's got a little bit of a stiff bristle to it, so you can use it as a, as a brush. It, it'll hold the paint. And so if you look up like Leviticus chapter 14, verses 4 through 7, it's used to ceremonially cleanse a leper with blood. And so if, if there was a leper, they became unclean. So you take the blood with the hyssop and cleanse them. 
Okay, same thing in Numbers chapter 19, verse 1. Hyssop is used to cleanse somebody who had touched a dead body. So if you touched a dead body as a Jew, you became unclean. To become cleaned, you need the blood, and they would use hyssop to cleanse you with that blood. And so when we come to like Psalm 51, uh, verse 7, this is David, and he's in the middle of repenting, right? And, and this is after Bathsheba. He had sinned, and he says to God, purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, I don't think that what David was saying there is take a bunch of plant and, like, rub it all over me to clean me, okay? I think he's referring there to the blood that would be on the hyssop that would cleanse him, okay? Now, it's interesting. You go to the New Testament, and the hyssop appears at the crucifixion of Jesus, and so John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30, let me read it for you. So after this is right, he's about to breathe his last breath here. So after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar, of, a jar full of sour wine stood there. And so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said it, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I think it's interesting. Some scholars believe that that sour wine symbolized the cup of God's wrath that we were meant to drink. Now, regardless, hyssop here, it clearly has some significance for the Jews from here on out. It's a, another reminder of God's redeeming grace. Next, look back to our passage, verse 23. We see God's sovereignty over the tenth plague here. It says in verse, verse 23, For the Lord, will the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter the house to strike you. Now, we've seen God's sovereignty as a theme throughout this whole book of Exodus, right? Moses has been making it, he's been making it very clear that these these plagues are not some kind of natural phenomenon like some people think today. These were all caused by God. God is the one acting. He is the one that is in total control. We also see here that God is a personal God. He is a personal God. He is personally sparing those who by faith obeyed the instructions to paint their doorposts with the blood of a spotless sacrificial lamb. Based on how the, the destroyer is used in other places in Scripture, more than likely what's being talked about here is the angel of the Lord. We, we uh, saw that back at the burning bush. The angel of the Lord is God manifesting himself in, like an angel. Okay, And so more than likely that's what's going on here. And so God is personally, again, overseeing the destruction of the Egyptian firstborn. And of course he's overseeing personally the the salvation of the Israelites. And so God didn't create us. This is important. God didn't create us and just step away. A lot of people that believe in God today, that's, that's kind of how they look at God, that he's just this distant God that really doesn't, just not relevant. Uh, if he did create us, he, he doesn't interact with us at all. But that's just not, the, not what we see in Scripture. And I, I'm sure if you're here today, that's, for most of you, I think it's probably not your experience either. God is a personal God. Thank God. Thank goodness. He, he doesn't just create us and step away. Thank goodness he, he doesn't just like simply save us and then say good luck, right? He doesn't just save us and, and say, okay, you're on your own now. 
No, he adopts us into his family. He gives us his spirit. He places us with brothers and sisters to live life with. He takes care of us. He provides for us. And I think one of the purposes of the Passover feast that they were to pass on from generation to generation was to teach their kids about that God loves us so much that he brought us in to be a part of his family. Look at verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And so he's talking about the Passover meal that they would celebrate together from here on out. Verse 25, and when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, so Canaan, the promised land, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Pay attention to how he says this. You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. And so today, if you're a practicing Jew and you celebrate the Passover meal with your family, this is how it happens, okay? So everybody comes together for your family, young and old, multiple generations come together. And you, you typically will recline at, at a table or, or just around a, a mat on the floor. And there's a Passover script called the, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but I think it's Haggadah. <laughs> it's my best interpretation. And you read through this script. This script has got a bunch of questions and answers. It's got stories and songs, all sorts of symbolism. And it starts off with the Kadesh blessing, which marks the holiness of this day. And they light some candles. And then there's this ritual hand washing. After that, it's followed up by eating some vegetables dipped in some salt water, which represents the hope of spring and the tears of slavery. And after that, they eat some matzo, and then there's a cup of wine that is poured. And when that cup of wine is poured, the youngest person in the room, the youngest child, will ask the question, how is this night different from all other nights? Which the elder in the room, might be the grandfather or the father, will respond by sharing the story of the Exodus. And they will share it in first person, like they were actually there. And I think that's significant. He shares it in such a way, not only to remember the Passover and the Exodus, but to bring his family back so if, it was as if they were participating in it themselves. That word participate is going to come back in a second. So in the next chapter, if you look at, flip over to Exodus chapter 13 if you've got your Bibles. In Exodus chapter 13, God is giving them this very similar directions about passing this on to the next generation. If you look down in verse 8, he says this, You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt, you shall therefore keep this statue at its appointed time from year to year. Did you notice that he gives directions on how to retell the story? And he says, do it in first person. And think about this. These, these kids that he's talking about, so he he's said, do this once you get to the promised land. When are they going to get to the promised land? It's not going to be for another 40 years. God knows this. 
right? So the kids that he has in mind here aren't even alive yet, and yet he's saying, I want you to tell them like it actually happened to them, like it actually happened, like they were participating in it themselves. Now, let's fast forward to the New Testament. When Jesus is sharing the Passover meal with his disciples at the Last Supper, and it gets to the point of the meal where the leader is supposed to share the story, story of the Exodus. What does Jesus do? He stops, and he takes the bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so from this point on, the disciples of Jesus, when they shared meal together, instead of remembering a time when God would spare the firstborn of Israel with the blood uh, on the doorpost to escape from Egypt, now Jesus' disciples would celebrate the body of Jesus torn for them and the blood of Jesus spilled for them to escape the wrath of God. And then when you go to 1 Corinthians 10, and this is huge, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking about communion. And he says this, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, who we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The word participation there, if you've got the ESV, it might be translated differently if you've got a different version there. It's, the Greek is koinonia. Some of you know that that Greek word means fellowship. And it's a deep spiritual word. It's, a, it's, a, it's got huge meaning. It means like a spiritual unity. Uh, for example, Philippians 2, 1 and 2. Uh, Paul writes, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation or fellowship, or koinonia in the spirit, any affections and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of one mind. And so in communion, we are not simply recalling and remembering what Christ has done. We are participating with him and with each other. We are koinonia-ing. <laughs> making up words now. We, we are fellowshipping with him in the spirit. And so remembering is important. Don't get me wrong. But there's more going on here than just simply recalling the past. Jesus himself through the spirit is with us here. So communion in a sense, it brings us back to the last supper to, to participate in what they experienced in that moment. And, and like the Passover also, it also points forward. Remember last week we talked about how in the midst of the Passover feast, they would be singing about the Messiah. Well, our feast that we celebrate in communion, it also points forward to an amazing hope that we have that it brings us forward to the day where we will sit face to face and koinonia with Christ in the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is why we celebrate communion every single week because it's this meaningful. It's not something we just go through the motions. It's, it's precious. Now, back to our passage in Exodus. 
I want you to notice the response of the Israelites after they hear the plan of Passover and this ordinance to share the experience with their, their children in first person. It says, And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. When the people of Israel, or then the people of Israel went and, they, and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now, the Israelites are, they're, they're so overwhelmed by God's grace and by God's mercy, by God's power, by seeing his glory and all these plagues, and, and they're just blown away. What happens? They worship and they obey. And I think the order is significant here. I think the order is significant. They are blown away by God's grace and their, his glory, which leads them to worship and then obey. Their, their worship was a response to seeing God's glory and their obedience flows out of their worship. Their obedience was a byproduct of their worship. Or another way to say it is their obedience was an outward expression of their worship. Is this not what we see throughout the rest of Scripture? Uh, Jeremy actually gave me a great example of this earlier this week. Uh, in the New Testament, if you go to Luke chapter 24, the two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus, right? They're, they're, this is after the the, the death of Jesus, and, and uh, Jesus has actually been resurrected. They don't know that. So they're walking along, and there's this stranger that starts walking with them and talking to them. And they don't realize it's actually Jesus. And Jesus shares with them everything that's in the Old Testament. Like, he teaches the whole Old Testament, Testament to him and says, look, it's all about the Christ. It's all about the Messiah. And he's saying, it's all about me. And so they get to the, where they're going in Emmaus, and they, they share communion together. They break bread together. And it was in that moment that their eyes are open and they see and they realize that this is Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he just vanishes. He disappears out of sight. And this is their conversation right after that. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned all the way to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And then they told him what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So think about this. These two disciples, after sitting under the teaching of the word, and participating in the breaking of the bread, had their eyes opened, their faith strengthened, their hearts are burning, and they can't wait to tell other people about Jesus. They were obedient to the Great Commission because they were blown away by the glory of God. Lastly, I want you to notice how horrible this tenth plague was, how devastating this had to be. I can't even bear to put myself in their shoes. It impacted everybody from the highest of the highs to the lowest of the lows, from Pharaoh's own son to the, the prisoner in the dungeon, even the livestock. There was not a house where someone was not dead. And the cry was so loud, it wakes Pharaoh in the middle of the night and all the Egyptians, and so he urgently summons Moses and Aaron to plead with them, get out of here, take everybody with you, take your herds, go. And then he says, and bless me also. Which I think is Pharaoh saying, mercy, <laughs> I give. He's saying, have favor on me, okay? I've, we've gone through enough, have mercy. Finally, he is publicly recognizing that Yahweh is more powerful than him. 
and that Yahweh has the ability to utterly crush him. And not only that, Yahweh was just to do so. Pharaoh deserved the wrath of God. And so do we. And so do we. Perhaps when you walked in this morning, you noticed that the doorframe of the sanctuary was a different color. Uh, Melody came, out, came in this week with some hyssop, no, not really, with a paintbrush, <laughs> and she, uh, she painted it red for us uh, as a symbol. And, and perhaps when you, when you saw it, maybe you noticed it, and you were wondering, okay, why did they do that? What did they mean by this service, right? I'm glad you asked. So painting the doors, typically it was the front doors of a church. They would paint red as a symbol of this is a safe place to come. If you're hurting, this is a place where you can find refuge. This is a sanctuary for you. This is a place where you can bring your burdens, your pain, your suffering, everything that you're going through. This is a place where you can come. But as believers, it means even more to us because we come into this place through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we come into this place, let's remember. I mean, this is an awesome place for us to remember the blood of Christ, that it unifies us, that it's through the blood of Christ that we are forgiven. It's through the the blood of Christ that we find freedom. It's through the blood of Christ that we have a hope. And when visitors come in, or maybe our kids come in and they ask, why is that red? Or why are you taking communion? Let's answer them in first person. It's because Jesus Christ gave his life and spilt his blood for me. And I deserved the wrath of God. Like the Egyptians, we deserve to experience God's wrath. But instead of God taking our, our oldest son or daughter, he gave his. It doesn't get better than that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Mm. Thank you so much for giving your son that he spilled his own blood so that we did not have to experience what we deserve, what we rightly deserve, your wrath. And I pray that today our hearts would be strengthened, our faith would be strengthened as we are reminded of the, uh, of the feast that we have to enjoy forevermore as we come around the, the table. I, I pray that you would help us not fall into the temptations of our flesh but that as we partake of your flesh, we would be reminded that your spirit is now in us. We are not the same. And because of you, we have the assurance that you will never let us go. And for all eternity, we will get to celebrate this with you. It doesn't get better than that, Lord. I pray that we would be in awe of that and it would... It would cause us to want to worship you and want to obey you, and it would cause us to want to proclaim your glory to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.
Uh, if you're a visitor with us today, first of all, I'm glad, you, glad that you're here. We, uh, we celebrate communion, like I said, every single week. And the, the, the juice represents his blood, of course. The bread represents his body. If you're a believer, I would encourage you to, to celebrate this with us. And this is also a time, and for the longest time, I used to say, this is a time for you to get alone with God. But what God is revealing to me as we're studying the Passover, this is actually not a time for you to get alone with God. This is a time for us to come together as a body. We, it's called communion for a reason, right? And so I would encourage you during this time, just enjoy it. <laughs> celebrate what it means and celebrate that he has given you a family to partake, participate. Let it take you back to the Last Supper. Let it take you forward to the Marriage Supper of the Lamb during this time. This should be meaningful. So we've got uh, up here, there's two stations. There's one in the back. Hopefully we've got enough for everybody. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, during this time, if you need prayer, I'll be in the back. If you've got questions about salvation or, or, or maybe God's calling you to respond to this in obedience through maybe uh, really investing in, in a church family and becoming a member or, or baptism or, or maybe some other way. Don't leave today until you get those questions answered. And, and if you want to talk, I'll, I'll stay around as long as I need to. And Perry's here. And uh, talk to somebody you trust, okay, before you leave. Uh, this is also a time for us to, to give sacrificially and joyfully, not out of compulsion, but because we're responding to the glory of God and what he's already done. For us. If you're a visitor, don't feel obligated. There's boxes up here and on your way out for that. But you come and respond as God.